So, um, as we heard earlier, we're continuing to look into God's Word in a particular part of the Bible um, in the chapter uh, in Exodus, the second book of the Bible. It's Exodus chapter 19. We'll read a, a bit of it in a minute. I want to start in chapter 19. If you want to find it, I'll give you a page number. It's uh, page number. Sorry? 76. Thank you. 76. Someone always does that. That's very helpful. Not always the same person, but yeah, uh, no, page number 76. We'll be there in a minute. Now, um, I wonder whether you have ever been in a situation where you've kind of begun something or were thinking of beginning something and uh, you then realize that it's not quite uh, what you're expecting. It's a bit of a surprise uh, along the, the way. It's not quite what you signed up for. Uh, when I was really quite young, it's a true story this, although it is based on memory, so you know, there may be dodgy bits, but I can't... Uh, um, when I was very young, well, quite young, about 13 years old, maybe 14, something like that, so I was a young teenager. You know what? I had the chance, would you believe, to play in a rock band. You know, I say a rock band, you know, it wasn't exactly a kind of proper rock band, but it was like a, a, a group. It was called, and uh, some people who go back into the annals of uh, Bitten Gospel Hall many years ago may remember a band called Something Else Entirely. Um, I don't know whether they based it on the Monty Python kind of uh, mem or something, but anyway, it was called Something Else Entirely, this band. And uh, I, I was in a church in Fareham as a 13, 14-year-old, and, and the guy who led the band, uh, you know, I knew I played the piano a bit, and uh, he said, do you want to play, um, <laughs> do you want to play in our, our band, you see? I thought, well, that's pretty good, that's quite cool. Um, I didn't think it was cool, because I wasn't very cool, but anyway, I thought probably it's a great opportunity to serve the Lord, because I was very earnest in those days. And... Um, it wasn't, it wasn't like a worship band, because there weren't such things back in 1970, whatever it was, 68 probably, something like that. Uh, but they were, they, they were like kind of outreach. They were groups that got together to, to do outreach in different places, and they would, they would play gigs and so on. So they asked me about playing the keyboard, and the guy who led the band said, actually, we'd even get one. So, you know, I could have been like Ray Charles on a Fender Rhodes, you know, playing away back there in those days. Um, although I didn't know anything about Ray Charles at the time either. But anyway, uh, I could have been there doing that, possibly. And I thought, well, that sounds, sounds, sounds good. So I, I <laughs> spoke to my parents about this, who were Christians, and they were in the same church. And, and they wisely suggested that I find out what it would mean to play in this band in that way. And so I found out, I asked, and, and uh, the guy leading me said, well, we practice for about at least one night a week, or maybe two, and then there are these gigs, you know, we go out and we play in various places on Saturdays or Sundays sometimes, and, and we play in, in prisons. And remember, I'm about 13 or 14 years old at the time. So I thought, well, that doesn't sound all that. Suddenly it began to feel you know, kind of less cool, if you see what I mean. And all the guys in this band were like, they had cars and jobs. And I was like 14. And I thought, I began to see that maybe, although I expected one thing, actually there was going to be a bit more to this than I thought. So I thought it would be great to play in a band, even though I didn't have any idea how to do that. Uh, but the reality was not quite what I was expecting. 
So we, or was it they, i.e. my parents, <laughs> decided to say no on that occasion. And, well, as you know, something else entirely changed their name to status quo. No, they didn't really. <laughs> um, yeah, so they, they became... So, so they did a great job and they've disappeared into the, the flow of history, I'm sure. Uh, we can, I think some may remember them, I don't know. Anyway... Why am I saying that? Well, we're back in the world of the Israelites in the book of Exodus. And remember the story of how they had kind of got to Egypt and they'd been there for hundreds of years. And then more recently in the story, they got involved with their God again. And, you know, uh, what had happened was that, that Moses, their leader, had got this, this message from God to, to uh, kind of declare to the leaders of the government of Egypt... I want you to let my people go so that they can worship me in the desert. And then he he told them they were going to go and he was going to take them to the promised land. And maybe like me in the band, for some of those Israelites, it was like, well, that sounds good. I like the idea of rescue. I'd be glad to get out of Egypt. The idea of a worship gig in the desert, a big convention in the desert, like new wine only with sand, you know, would be a great thing to do. And then I really love the idea about a a land flowing with milk and honey. But maybe there were some other things about it that they weren't quite expecting. There was more to it than just the rescue from Egypt, the gig in the desert, and the journey to the promised land. Something else God had in mind for them. And we read about it. In Exodus 19. So, can we just look at verses 3 to 6 as a kind of introduction there? Then Moses went up to God. They can see what had happened. They'd come to the place God said that they were to come and worship him at this place, this mountain where Moses had originally met with God. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. It was a message for them from God. And this is it. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And Lou talked about this a couple of weeks ago, so do listen to the message if you missed it. And Moses goes back and tells the people about that. So God, he he speaks to them there in Exodus chapter 19, and he reminds them about what it is to do with him and the Israelites. What is going on here? Is it just a a kind of one-off thing? He tells them, look... I've rescued you, he says. You see what I've done? This isn't working. Okay, yeah, it is now. He said, you see what I did? I rescued you. You saw what I did to the Egyptians? He said, "Uh, you've been rescued. And then he goes on to make it clear that he wants them to be in a relationship with him. No, no, I've gone too far. Uh, I think we need some new batteries in here. Anyway, a, a relationship with him. And there's a lovely picture. He said, I've brought you to myself. I've carried you on eagle's wings. He, you know, it's a very intimate, personal picture of this God loving his people. See, there's a, it's a beautiful thought. 
And he says, and I want you to be a treasured possession. You really matter to me. You're going to be the most... uh, Some people translate this as as the idea of, you know, if you've got in your home, what's the thing that you would definitely take out of your home if it was on fire? What would you get out quickly? You know, some of the photograph albums, isn't it? Or something like that. That's the idea. Because these days you've got them on the cloud. But in the old days it was like that. So the most treasured thing, the thing that matters most to me, God says, I've rescued you to come into this relationship. But then he says as well, there's a responsibility. They're within the whole earth. They're going to have a special role in the whole earth. They're told to be a kingdom of priests. People bringing God to others. People showing, uh, showing the nations of the world what this God who'd loved them and rescued them was like. What it means to belong to him. That was what he, they were supposed to kind of show that to people. That's what priests do. And they were supposed to do that in the whole world. They've been rescued into a relationship. But there's a responsibility, a mission, a fantastic privilege to represent him to the world. So here's the thing. He has rescued them. It's not working. God rescues them. If I wave it next time, you can do it, Howard, if that's right. God rescues them to be with them. Okay? He rescued them to be with them. And his being with them, that's not like a comfort blanket. Well, it can be helpful at times, but it's... It's a whole way of life. It's a whole thing, as we shall see, that will affect their whole lives. And God explains that with these ten words, as they're called, or ten commandments, as as it's translated in chapter 20. And we had some of it earlier. So have a look at chapter 20, uh, at the bottom of page 77. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. It's a relationship thing again. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And the first seven, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And there's more. There's these ten words that people hear. They hear God speak these words. If you look at the context, it's not Moses came down and told them the words. On this occasion, they, there's a mountain shook and there was smoke at the top and the whole place was kind of, you know, buzzing. Well, not throbbing, you know, exploding. They hear God for themselves. They hear God's voice. And this is what he says to them directly. These ten words, as they're called, ten commandments. And as we saw, as Peter reminded us, look how they begin. They say, he is the Lord. That special name he gave them. The name, we, again, we thought about it in the Exodus series. Yahweh, that name, that means that he is who he is. He will be who he will be. The eternal, present, faithful God. And that Lord, that Lord has rescued them. He's rescued them. He's rescued them from Egypt. 
And he's done that, and he shows them in these words what he's rescued them for. Because he's rescued them to live with them, for him to be shaping their lives. That's how they're meant to be, priests in the world. Showing the other nations what it looks like to love God and live with him. Because he rescued them to be with them. He rescued them to live with them, and everyone is meant to see it. And these ten words paint a picture of what it looks like to live with God, to be with God. And if you notice all of, or look at all of them together, you see that they affect our thinking, because some of these commandments are about how you think, particularly the last one, actually. They reflect our speaking, what we'd say to one another, and they, they um, touch our actions, Things like not stealing and not killing and not committing adultery. Actions, speaking and thinking. That's about everything we do, isn't it? (laughs) Do you do anything that doesn't involve thinking, speaking or acting, doing? It's comprehensive. And it involves acting, thinking and speaking in relation to what? To God. Some commandments about, some words are about God, our relationship to him. Our relation to our why, our families, stuff about our parents and our spouses, and then stuff about our neighbours, our community, families, God, and the wider community. That's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? It's pretty much all of life. So the message is that God's with them to be with them and making a difference in every part of their life. And and these words, if you like, are for God's people. This is the way that God lives with them. The way that God makes them different. The way that God works his purposes and his glory out in them. And this third word in verse 7 is all about the name of the Lord. Thank you. That's a fine power. The name of the Lord, it says. Now, our translation says misusing the name of the Lord. Actually, the old one is better. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. So this translation has already translated it and started to apply it. But the Hebrew has the idea of quite literally bearing it, taking it, having it kind of on you, as we shall see. This name was special. It was part of the relationship they had with God. God gave the Israelites his name to show the way he loved them. That's why he gave them to it, to reveal himself to them. His name and his actions were all tied up in in his relationship with them, his covenant of love with them. And this name that he gave them was to be part of their lives because it describes God. It shows what he's like. Who he is, what he does, the God who rescues, the God who lives with people. And they were to kind of carry his name. Their identity and the way they live their lives was all wrapped up in that. And you see it in different times through the Old Testament. And here's an example, uh, which will just come up on the... Thank you. That's the one. Here's, some, uh, uh, here's a quotation from Deuteronomy. It, it, it begins in chapter 28. You look at it later if you want. It says, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands 
uh, I give you today. Moses uh, in Deuteronomy is reiterating the whole thing just before the Israelites are going to go into the promised land. It's kind of Moses' last message to the people of Israel, if you like, the book of Deuteronomy, roughly speaking. And then in verse 9 it says that, look, the Lord would establish you as his holy people, as he promised you on oath, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. And then look at verse 10. Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord. That's a revealing statement, isn't it? Do you remember when at weddings and also at dedications, we often use that verse in Numbers 6, verses 22 to 27. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give his peace. Well, the next verse says, and in that way you will put my name on the people. God's people were meant to carry his name, to kind of take his name. And in another place, were other places in the Old Testament, these people, God's people, he refers to them as my people who are called by my name. And that doesn't mean that they've just been given the name. It means... His, he's called, their identity, he's kind of called them out to be a community that has his name on them, his characteristics embedded into them, his kind of DNA kind of part of their lives, if you see what I mean. That's what the idea was. God had, you see, rescued them to be with them. It wasn't just about getting them to the promised land. It was about so much more than that. Now, we need to get hold of this, I believe. We need to get hold of it. Because God, because Jesus has rescued you to be with you. He's rescued me to be with me, to live with me. It's not just about getting me to heaven. It's about living with Jesus, knowing his kind of truth and love and grace and goodness, shaping my life and your life here and now. That's what it means to be rescued. That's what it means to belong to this God. Everything is new. It's all different. Is it? Think about that. Now we know, sadly, from history that the Israelites failed. It didn't work out. They couldn't do it. They kept moving away from God. They didn't live as he wanted them to live. They didn't kind of expect the challenges. I think they thought, yeah, it'd be great to be off to the promised land, but I don't know about, you know, doing these things that God says we should do. I'm not sure about carrying his name, uh, you know, and they ended up worshipping other gods and they did everything fell apart in a a big and quite a bad and terrible way. And in the end, they were exiled. They were sent away from the land God gave them and they ended up in Babylon, uh, the Jewish, the the two tribes of Judah, And the Israelites were uh, in another part called Assyria previously. And the prophets like Ezekiel and Isaiah said these kind of things. They said, you know, God's name was blasphemed among the nations because of you, they say to the Israelites in their prophecies. Isaiah 52 and Ezekiel 36. So you see, this commandment, not taking the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's not about swearing, although you could apply it that way. It's about much more 
then whether you use the name of God as a swear word or, it, or make a false promise on it, this is about the whole of life. Living with God in the whole of our life. That's he, what he wants for us. That's what he promises. Some people, that's why actually it's better to call the Ten Commandments words rather than commandments, you know. We have this image, thou shalt not, you know. Well, actually, you can see it as a promise. You won't do that because you're my people. You don't need to kill. You don't need to lie to one another. You don't need to commit adultery. You don't need to steal. I've got something better for you, says God. You're my people. You bear my name. That's the kind of vision. That's where we are here. The Ten Commandments are not necessarily something we kind of put like they do in America outside the town hall and kind of make everyone feel guilty because they don't keep them. Because how can people who don't know God keep the Ten Commandments anyway? Well, that's very good. That we, to keep the Ten Commandments is a good thing. It honors God and everything. It's good for everybody. But it, it comes out of a context of God's people who know him and love him live his way. We're different, and we're different in these areas. So they failed. God's name was blasphemed. Now, what's all this to do with us then? Well, Jesus came, didn't he? And Jesus came, and he has a name. He's given a name. He's the one who rescues, as we heard earlier. He is God with us. He's the servant of the Lord. He's the Christ, the anointed, the promised one, the king who will come. He's the beloved son, and he lives with people. He loves people. He teaches people. He declares he brings God's kingdom rule into, you know, he brings it all into the beginning, as it were, in his life and ministry, and promises it will continue through his people until it's finally kind of brought in for everybody when he returns. He does all of those things. He dies, and he's raised again from the dead. And it's through his name... That is through all that he has done so that we can be rescued from sin, so that we can be saved, so that we can know God for ourselves. So look at, it's a very well-known verse in John chapter 1. It says, to all who received him, that's the word, that's Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God and so on. Believed in his name. That name of Jesus, that name is well, like the name of the Lord that kind of is all about him and what he's done. And we kind of believe, as it were, into that. Well, here's another example in the book of Acts when uh, I think it's Peter is preaching. And he tells the crowd of Jewish people, he says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other what? Name given under heaven, given to mankind by which we must be saved. And then uh, Peter again, later in the book of Acts, talks to um, Cornelius' household. And he talks about how Jesus commanded them to preach to the people. And what were they to testify? That God, Jesus has been appointed as judge of the living of the dead. And he goes on to say the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So this name of Jesus, this name of the Lord is kind of upon his people in the New Testament, upon the disciples. As they go out and they share the truth about Jesus, they're saying it's about carrying his name. 
They're kind of being ambassadors, like the Old Testament people were meant to be. And then when people uh, receive forgiveness in Jesus' name, it says there, that's why when we baptize people, we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. People are baptized in the name of Jesus because everything Jesus has done is kind of sitting in their experience. It's become real to each one of us who knows him, loves him, and trusts him, and has begun to follow him. Like the people in Exodus, he's rescued us to live with him, to be with him. We're associated with him. We're identified with him. We carry his name. We take his amazing person to other people. They should be just seeing it in us. Sometimes we tell them. Sometimes they ask us. Sometimes they want to know why we do what we do. Sometimes all kinds of things. But all the time we're, we're, we're ambassadors. We're bearing his name. The name of Jesus is in our lives and we're ambassadors. Like the Old Testament people were meant to be. And we don't want that to be lost, do we? We don't want to carry that in vain. We don't want to misuse the name we carry to others. So, have you realized this? I'm going to say it quite a few times. Jesus has rescued you to be with you, to live with you, in you, through you. That's the whole point, if you've been rescued. It's not just about getting you to heaven. Any more than it was just about the Israelites changing location from Egypt to the promised land. It was much more than that. And you know, we are rescued as well to be his treasured possession. Remember that phrase? And Lou reminded us of it a couple of weeks ago. Let's go back there. This is what 1 Peter 2 says. Of Christians in the New Testament. People, he says a little bit further up that passage who have come to Jesus, the living stone. And it says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Does that remind you of anything? Sounds a bit like Exodus 19 to me. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's the job description of an ambassador of Jesus. We've been rescued, we're treasured, we're loved, and we're to declare his praises, to reflect what he's like, to show what he's like, to live what he's like. Because we were in darkness, but now we're in wonderful light. Wonderful is a great word, isn't it? It's an emotional word. And we'll see it's about joy and difference. Where am I? I've lost my place now in my notes. Here I am. Now, okay, how is that going to happen then? I'm going to finish quite soon. I wanted to highlight something, how this happens. There are three ways that we can bear the name of Jesus in our lives. It involves us looking into another passage for a little while, and it's on page 1082, and it's in John's Gospel. John's gospel, John's uh, uh, telling of the story of Jesus from his eyewitness accounts, and he was there at the time. And after Jesus um, had supper with his disciples on the very uh, his last night with them before he went to the cross, 
He, he taught them many things, and John has remembered or recorded. He might have even taken notes. Uh, he's kind of given us a big chunk of Jesus' teaching in John's gospel on that night. And in John 14, verse 12, this is one of the things he says. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So we bear the name, we carry the name of Jesus as we continue doing what Jesus did. Jesus promised his disciples that. Jesus' whole life was to glorify his Father. The Father is glorified in the Son. And we carry on, the way we live is all part of that process. And how does that happen? Jesus said, as you ask in my name you belong to me so you can just ask it's prayer we'll spend time in prayer it's more than that how does that happen but if you just see the next verses he then goes on to talk about the holy spirit the spirit of god jesus comes into our lives to help us think that one through just as we uh, turn the page oh, no no don't turn the page look on the other page to uh, chapter 15 verse 16 you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. There it is again. Fruit. We know from the Bible in Galatians that the fruit we bear are the characteristics of God, the good things God wants to grow in us. Things like love and joy and peace, self-control. Those things grow in our lives. We ask in my name, the Father gives us those things. He grows those things in us. So this is living our lives with him where we are, looking for him to work, asking him to work, looking for changes in our characters, where we're struggling. Ask him, maybe get with another Christian and say, well, I'm struggling in this area, please pray for me. Ask in my name, because we bear his name, we carry his name, we can pray to him, we have that freedom. Ask him, him for that. It's in his name. It's Jesus seen in us. It's his fingerprints in our lives. Pray for that. Look for that. Work together to encourage one another for that. Be ambassadors in your front line, our families, the people that we know, just wherever we are, let's be aware that we, we bear that name. And let's ask for fruit. Let's ask that God will do things. Let that relationship that, that he's with us be kind of spilling out to other people. One way we carry the name. And there's a bit more in chapter 16, verse 23. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming, says Jesus, when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. And then verse 27, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. And so on. There's a reference there about asking so that you may know my joy, he says. I have, I've, I've missed it, but it is there. You'll find it later. The joy of loving Jesus, of being loved by the Father, of asking and receiving, growing and getting to know him better. So it, we can bear the name of Jesus 
in our lives as we, we live with him, as we pray, as we get to know him, as we want his fruit, as we ask him, and we, we work together to see that fruit of the Spirit in our lives. But also, uh, it's in our lives because we can serve in his name. In Mark 9, Jesus talks about someone giving a cup of water in my name. Uh, in, in another place uh, in the Gospels, he tells his disciples to go. He sends them out in his name. And they were to go and preach and teach and heal and deliver people from demonic spirits. And all, you remember that in the Gospels? And, and they come back and they say, Lord, the, the demons are subject to your name. Because they're going out. So as they go out to serve, it's in his name. The name they carry kind of spills over in loving service to others. Jesus talked and told the disciples, you remember, he said, you must welcome children in my name. Because of me. Because of who I am. Because you're carrying my name. Now children in that society were just about, well, you know, the least welcome people of all in some ways. They were annoying the disciples. They were getting in the way. So I was like, oh, you know, go off and play somewhere. And he said, no, no, you should welcome children. So maybe it's as we serve, as we welcome people who would normally be turned away. Are there ways that you can serve in Jesus' name? Because he rescued you to be with you. We have that relationship of God in our lives for other people because he rescued you to be with you. And we also carry that name, finally, as we stand for Jesus. Lots of time in the book of Acts. The disciples, the apostle Paul, they talk about suffering for the name of Jesus. You see, they refuse to stop living for him. They refuse to stop sharing the good news about him. And you know, people used to sometimes beat them up, and worse. And uh, there were references to how they sometimes felt, they, they felt honored to be suffering abuse for the name. And one of the most um, clearest quotes of, about that is in the book of, oh, sorry, in Peter. Can you see that? Peter says in 1 Peter 4, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of Christ rests on you. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. You carry that name. For us, not so much in our culture perhaps. But in some cultures, brothers and sisters around the world, that is their daily experience. So we bear the name as ambassadors as we stand and suffer for Jesus. We carry his name. We can serve others in his name. How many acts of kindness could we do in his name if we multiplied it all, if we all did one or two things this week? Be good, wouldn't it? Next time you see someone, you think, oh, I don't, you know, wish someone would you know, get them out of the way. Maybe we should welcome them. We can grow in our relationship with God and let that relationship shape our lives to change us and to overflow to others. God working through our prayers, joy from the Lord as we carry his name. So our lives can reflect the name of the Lord to others. So how's that going to be for you this week then? And for me, I ask myself. It doesn't happen because we try harder. But it's because Jesus has rescued us to be with us. That's all. 
It's a simple thing. He's with us. He wants to live through us, in us. So let's honor his name in worship and live for him in serving with joy, standing for him wherever we are, because we are the people who now are called by his name. It's a great privilege. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege we have. Help us to realize that it is a privilege, and may we see and find the joy of living with you. Thank you that you just haven't got us kind of ready for heaven, but you want us to know you and live for you and and be different and just grow in our knowledge of you and overflow that as ambassadors to others. May we bear your name, not in vain this week. May we carry it with joy, purpose and fruitfulness for your glory. Amen. Thanks.